I'm here with the Attorney General Bill Sorrell. Um, you announced last week you're not going to seek re-election, and you said at the time that really you had decided that five years ago. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated, as you might imagine, these days with trying to figure out when is the right time to leave a job. So what was what was five years ago magical about now? Well, uh, my children would be out of undergraduate school, and uh, so that was a factor. Uh, and I had some some cases that we were working on that I was interested in and some other issues that I wanted sort of to see more, if not to conclusion, then get more done. And, and at the same time, I, I'm not planning on retiring, retiring. I mean, if, if I hear retirement's great and, you know, that, that'll come eventually, but uh, 15 months from now, I'm going to be doing something different, and I'm, I don't know exactly what, but I've still got plenty of energy, and, uh, and you know, I'm really busy right now. I mean, this office is really busy uh, right now. I was in Chicago last week for a conference on uh, gender violence. I moderated a panel on campus sexual assault. Uh, tomorrow, uh, or not, no, Wednesday, I'll fly to New York for argument before the Federal Appeals Court in our GMO labeling case. Uh, we've got a number of other matters that uh, are, are important, uh, both in-state and, and uh, nationally, and uh, uh, so I, I'm certainly not on a glide path for this, uh, just the next 15 months. Okay, but if you're not going to retire, I mean, you're going to be pretty close to 70. 70 yeah, be right? close to 70, right. I mean, then why not just stay in the job if you're not going to re just retire? Uh, because I know that, you know, in a job like this, you're never done. And and I just feel like there. Uh, I've had a couple of potential opportunities to do something different in the... Uh, public health arena or the nonprofit arena for good causes and uh, I was interested in those possibilities. They didn't ultimately wasn't the right fit or it didn't work out but I knew from the fact that I thought doing something different with the thought of it energized me and so uh, rather than just sit back and and, and wait for something to tap me on the shoulder, that if I set my own sort of time frame, then uh, I could have maybe a little more direction over what I do and, and uh, be able to maybe pick and choose between some different options. So, so uh, we'll, we'll see, but it, the truth, it's the absolute truth. I was asked by a very good friend just shortly after the 2010 election, how much longer are you going to do this? And I told him, my plan is to run two more times. And uh, I'll be just shy of 20 years as the Attorney General when I leave. I'm now the longest serving Attorney General in Vermont history, the second longest serving of the current AGs nationally. And uh, so I'm, and I'm hugely 
proud of my record and the people in the office. You having any burnout? I have days when I have to sort of kickstart a little bit. Uh, Is it that kind of job? That, well, there's, you know, this, it's kind of like an assembly line. There's so many issues that come down and you have to pick and choose which you know, the office is going to engage in, and then which I personally am going to uh, engage in. And sometimes the, the various issues, whether it's in the drug addiction arena and the child uh, protection arena, uh, defending the state in any number of ways, wh whatever, it, it's, uh, uh, it, it can be... Uh, almost uh, well the challenges are challenges are huge and I wanted to make sure that I really have the the fire in my belly to uh, to, to bring to the job what it demands and as I started thinking that you know the thought of running again and winning again uh, it would be more of a challenge to just bring what bring to the table day in day out for another two years what the job demands and I certainly think the Attorney General should be uh, be ready to be ready to go readily and and uh, it's just time for me to do something different do you have any second thoughts that you maybe should have gotten out two years ago or four years ago I've thought about that, uh, and and the truth is, among the most energizing things for me uh, is the caliber of the young folks who want to be in this office, and they come in and they, one, they've got great academic backgrounds, a number of them have done a lot of work in the private sector or other uh, kinds of jobs, and they want to be in this office. and. And I've found that to be energizing. Uh, I had a tough race, you know, that primary race in 2012. And I fought for the position, I held it. And so when it got to 14, I felt like, uh, I thought a little bit about not running in 14, but then I thought, uh, no, it's sort of the 2012 race, you, 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 you fought and, and one, and uh, go, for, go for that last term that you've had in mind you'd, you'd, you'd have. Uh, I think I've done a lot of things in the last couple of years I'm, I'm proud of in terms of cases and successes and such, but had I not run this term, I'd be doing something different today, and uh, I, I don't know whether in hindsight I would regret not being AG today if I, if I wasn't, but certainly crossed my mind uh, not to run in 14. Uh, but I, my plan was not to run in 16, and that's the one I stayed, that's the, that's the course I stayed on. Of course, you know, you made that decision by your account before you became under investigation. Oh, the investigations had nothing to do, nothing whatsoever to do with my decision. If, uh, let's put it this way, 
if tomorrow, as I expect to be cleared, that I haven't violated the law, taken bribes and all of that stuff, I'm fine. if tomorrow I'm cleared and everyone who is either announced a run for next year or contemplating a run for AG next year decided to do something different and I was guaranteed hmm. uh, if I ran re-election next year, I would not be doing it. And I just have to repeat the... Uh, these last four months or whatever with this, you know, the vice chair of the Republican Party and these allegations of all of this wrongdoing I supposedly am responsible for. I'm not going to pretend it's fun. It's not. Uh, but the fact of the uh, allegations, the fact of the investigation, whatever, played no part whatsoever in my decision. If anything, might have been a little reinforcing, but it was... A, I told any number of people close to me in my family and others uh, in 14 that that was it for me. Did you think at all about running, though, because you were under investigation and not wanting to... That would have been the wrong reason to do it. Uh, that, you know, uh, that would have been a totally wrong reason to to run just because... I don't know, resentment about the investigation or whatever. Uh, that that would have just been, if I, if I had made a decision to run on that basis, it just would have been a big mistake on my part. And not uh, doing justice to the job itself. I've been running for the wrong reason. And so. But then you could have avoided having a columnist describe you as um, apparently limping away with your tail between your legs. You know... I haven't read that column. I assume I know who wrote the column. I haven't read anything he's written in the last, well, this calendar year, uh, well before he started teeing off on, on me. Uh, my staff doesn't think I'm uh, limp, what, limping along with my tail between my limp, legs? Limping away with your tail between oh, your legs. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, you know, I can't tell you how many people on the street have congratulated me in the last week, uh, have said, you know, I'm really sorry to see you leaving that job. You've, you've, you've been such a gift to the state and how seriously you've taken this and how you've been bipartisan and enforcing the, or nonpartisan and enforcing the laws. And, and, you know, on the street, I have not gotten one bit of sense of, of, uh, oh, good riddance to you, or two, uh, you know, poor you, you're, what, limping along to retirement. That, okay, but uh, would anybody ever tell you that? I mean, really? Who, who knows? I have people, total strangers, who stop me in line at Costco or Hannaford's or whatever and, 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 and say just very positive, reinforcing uh, things to me. Now, somebody likely to tap me on the shoulder at, you know, Costco and say you're you're all that Brady Tensing thinks you are? I Probably not. I understand that, but I haven't gotten the uh, sense. Well, one, I'm not limping with my tail between my legs, and if some uh, would-be columnist is of the view that I am uh, free country, he's entitled to his view, uh, I'm entitled to mine. Do you really view this as purely coming from Brady Tenzing? Because there has been, um, Paul Heinz has done some investigative pieces 
you know, following your record, looking at some of the things that you've done. Like what? Well, I mean, he's he's looked at uh, the MBTE case. Uh, he's looked at um, whether or not you... This is a, a case, the MTBE case is a case that we've been interested in for years. And we talked with the Secretary of Natural Resources or the Agency of Natural Resources during a prior governor's administration about our interest in the case, that other uh, New Hampshire had a case, some other nationwide cases, and that agency of natural resources was not interested. But New Hampshire got a huge judgment in its case. There have been some good decisions by the federal judge in what's called the multi-district litigation, and uh, we have been continuing to, to follow it. When I went and met with the Agency of Natural Resources folks, I said, uh, do you the current Agency of Natural Resources folks, do you have any interest in considering an MTBE case for groundwater contamination? Uh, we've been following this for a while. There have been some good decisions. Um, uh, but if you're not interested, in the litigation. We're not filing anything. And this uh, Secretary of Natural Resources, the then Commissioner of uh, Environmental Protection, very, very interested in the case. And that's why we're in this case right now, because we have support uh, and A&R folks, DEC folks have to do all the records analysis and, and, and such. And uh, the, uh, so this wasn't something that came up because I got some campaign contributions to my campaign that, oh boy, yeah, oh, you gave me a contribution to campaign? I'm going to file a lawsuit that you want me to file? No. That's not the way this happened. So. But that's, I think, the concern. You know, there's, it's, the, the timeline is you meet with representatives of this law firm, you decide to file the case, they're going to financially benefit off of it, and then you get a campaign contribution. No, it wasn't the timing. They gave me a campaign contribution before they talked to me about the, about the loss, about the possible lawsuit. And the fact that that was one firm of four that are retained under a contingency fee arrangement with the state uh, where they don't get a dime unless there's a recovery. The uh, other firms, the Boston firm, the Powa firm, and a New York firm, I don't even know the name of it, gave me no campaign contributions. It was recommended to me that they be retained also to represent the state, and I said fine. And that review was by some of my staff and Agency of Natural Resources staff who interviewed all the law firms and uh, made the recommendation to me, this is what we go with. I played no part in that decision other than okaying the recommendation uh, to me. Um, talk to me about there, were, there was discussion about whether or not you filed things correctly in campaign expenditure forms, which, you know, for you is important to do. I, I am so glad you asked me that question. The allegation is that my... You, re, you reimbursed yourself for expenses. Reimbursed myself and others. That, that wasn't made clear. 
that in the little box on the form, what was written down was reimbursement. Well, uh, you want to go back publicly available records, anybody can do it online or going to the Secretary of State's office. Go back to the 2010, 12, and 14 races. And what you'll find, among other things, Brian Doobie's campaign, and I don't pick it on him because I don't think he violated the law. He had just under, I think, $15,000 in, quote, reimbursements in his, that's all, that he was the description. Then Governor Douglas, before he decided not to run, had reimbursements, I forget the amount. Matt Dunn, one of the gubernatorial candidates in 2010, over $15,000 in, quote, reimbursements, just that's all. Susan Bartlett, Deb Markowitz, a candidate for governor in 2010, and the then Secretary of State, she had a, a, a couple. And then if you want to look at 12 and 14, you, I think you'll see Phil Scott with some thousands of dollars of, quote, reimbursement, Peter Shumlin, uh, and, and others. And uh, so this wasn't just Bill Sorrell violating, you know, trying to hide what the reimbursements were for. It's, there are tens of thousands of dollars of candidate filings in the 10, 12, and 14 uh, elections that have done exactly that. And that columnist, the tail between the legs columnist that uh, you, uh, you know, said that I'm walking around with a tail between my legs, I was told out of the Secretary of State's office that he was advised that before he wrote a, anything that appeared in the paper, that uh, other campaigns have done the same thing. And he showed no apparent interest uh, in looking at what other campaigns uh, have done. Uh, so I follow the law. The payments were reimbursements. That's what they were. You know, I... Uh, I Drove to St. Albans and back, uh, 28 miles one way, you know, 56 miles uh, mileage time, whatever the per mile is. I kept a log of all that stuff, and it got to be November, and, you know, I had X hundred dollars in mileage reimbursement for going to this campaign event or another. Meals, uh, all, all of the like, you know, baggage check fees, uh, renting a room or two on election night at... Uh, you know, a hotel where all the Democrats were gathering, and I reimbursed myself for it because I paid it all on my own credit card or personal checks, and there were legitimate campaign expenses, and they were reimbursements to me. And so what I reported was on, you know, November 12th, the reimbursement to Bill Sorrell, $812.10, uh, and that's what I reported. And if I thought it was against the law or I was skirting anything, I wouldn't have done it, and I would encourage you or any other reporter to get on your computer and just verify what I just said in terms of the tens of thousands of dollars of other simple reimbursements that candidates for statewide office and some legislative offices, although I didn't really look seriously at those, uh, have done the same thing. Did you read the, back, back on this sort of, uh, the, the first question I was asking about this concern about um, influence. Did you read the Eric Lipton series in the New York Times? That yeah, I did. About... I was interviewed by Eric Lipton. 
Uh, Do you agree it's a problem that he what he, what he was talking oh, about? Oh, I, I I think there's some ugly stuff there. I don't. Uh, uh, I'm also told by some people who know Eric Lipton that he said uh, that he found me to be a quote stand-up guy. Because, uh, for example, you know, he talks about you know campaign contributors and then they meet with you or they want to have a meeting with you because they represent clients. Eric Lipton knew because he wanted to talk to me about this five-hour energy. Uh, I mean, I had a meeting here in my office with an attorney who was a campaign contributor, happened to be a friend of mine, but a campaign contributor, and his client was five-hour energy, and he brought somebody, the CEO of five-hour energy, we met in this office. I took the meeting, hear them out as to how they're not guilty of violating any laws and this and that, and three months later, Vermont, Oregon, and Washington were the first three states to sue Five Hour Energy, and I told I, I said that to uh, to Eric Lipton, and I could give him any other number of uh, examples of when campaign contributors have asked me to do this or not do that, and I did just the opposite. Uh, uh, so you know, I certainly haven't been in the pocket of campaign uh, contributors. What's the what's the problem though that he accurately described? I think that uh, the, what has happened is with the success of the attorneys general with in suing tobacco mm -hmm. in the 90s, uh, uh, all of a sudden the tobacco industry was able to keep legislative change at bay in state capitals and in the Congress. Uh, other than the requirement of the Surgeon General's warnings. But all of a sudden, this multi-multi-billion dollar settlement against this powerful industry that was responsible, it was the greatest avoidable public health problem that we were facing in the 90s, and we continue to face today is addiction to tobacco, premature death, and all, all of that. But AGs were able to bring these lawsuits show that antitrust violations, marketing to kids by the industry, uh, keeping safer products, safer cigarettes off the market, all kinds of conspiracy stuff, costing the industry billions of dollars, which payments will be, need to be, will be made in perpetuity, that all of a sudden big business thought, ah, it's not just within the beltway that we need to be uh, concerned. And these pesky state AGs, uh, you know, can make our lives miserable. Well, I'm proud to say that uh, three or four or five weeks ago, this entity called the Competitive Enterprise Institute, it's this uber right-wing conservative organization, I think out of D.C., came out with its list of the worst AGs in the country, and yours truly is number five. I've moved either up or down from when I was six, I think, uh, uh, three or four years ago. And why am I on that list? Because I'm unfair to big business. I uh, was very active in the tobacco uh, litigation. I've been active in prosecuting uh, enforcement actions against uh, big pharmaceutical companies for any number of, of issues. Uh, I don't know whether they were upset at me for the uh, several hundred millions of dollars Vermont being the lead state against the 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 big wireless carriers for alleged cramming or unauthorized charges on cell phone bills in the last year or two. I don't know whether they're 
pointing to that one too. But you know, there's a reason why the Vermont Medical Society named me Citizen of the Year a couple of years ago, and it's for standing up against powerful interests. And so if that makes me the fifth worst AG in the country, it's a badge of honor for me, and I'm, I'm proud of it. Do you think people are going to buy it that you're leaving while you're under investigation and that has nothing to do with anything? Well, I hope they do because it's the truth. But if they choose not to and they think that, uh, uh, that the investigation plays any part of it, all I can say is that it, it didn't, doesn't. And as I said, I told any number of people close to me two years ago, uh, or 2014, after the 14 race, that that was it. And that was uh, well before there was even a thought of, uh, of an investigation. And so uh, it just played no part, plays no part. And uh, I expect to be cleared because I'm not guilty of taking bribes or wire fraud or some of the other stuff. Obviously, the, the filings on the reimbursements, if I'm guilty of anything, there are 10 other uh, candidates or whatever who have done the same thing. And uh, some of them are, are candidates for, uh, for high elective office for next year. Uh, uh, you know, I, I expect to be be cleared, uh, but I made my decision on the timing of of not running next year, well before the investigation or there was even a thought of an investigation. Are you entirely comfortable with this practice that you and others engaged in, where people put you up at these nice places? Um, you know, uh, have you do speeches at? at if you know, the American Intellectual Property Law Association wants me to come and speak about our efforts against alleged patent trolls in Vermont, uh, first of its kind in the nation lawsuit filed by a state AG against an alleged patent troll, responding to requests from prominent Vermont companies, including MyWeb Grocer and some other high-tech companies, uh, asking me to come to a meeting and saying, can you do something to have Vermont be a more hostile environment for patent trolls because they're costing us hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And so I get asked to go speak about what Vermont has done, whether I speak at Yale Law School or University of Pennsylvania Law School or some hotel in Philadelphia or out on the West Coast or whatever. I, they're not paying me anything. They're just paying my airfare. I'm not going to charge the taxpayers of Vermont for me going there. But I went and talked to other AGs. I went and talked to businesses about what Vermont has done. Several other AGs have since initiated investigations and taken action against alleged patent trolls. I think there are 18 states now that have a Vermont-style uh, uh, law against bad faith assertions of patent infringement. I went into states, went, appeared at conferences, and talked up other states doing this, all because I thought it's part of my job to try to have Vermont be successful in fighting patent trolls and, and having other states successfully fight patent trolls, which are 
according to a couple of professors from BU or BU, I think it's a, like a $29 billion a year drag on the U.S. economy. And I heard from Vermont companies, mm -hmm. significant drags on, on their companies. So uh, I, I'm pleased to have the opportunity when it's something that I care about, like wireless cramming, like uh, fighting against the tobacco industry, uh, concerns about diabetes uh, uh, and obesity, uh, the now second greatest avoidable public health problem that we face. Uh, I talked about fracking with Vermont being the a state that has banned uh, fracking, concerns about that. I'll speak about issues that are relevant to my work. I get asked to speak on GMO, on what we've done on GMO labeling, uh, conferences and whatever. And I hope a whole bunch of states enact uh, GMO labeling laws and follow Vermont's lead. So I don't choose the location of these places. I don't accept anywhere near uh, a majority of the requests I have to go speak about things that I have done, my office has done, what Vermont has done or is is doing. But if I think it's it's sufficiently relevant to my work and might sort of advance the ball, if I can fit it into my calendar, uh, I'll I'll do it. And uh, these organizations, uh, trade groups, and whatever, they tend to have meetings at nice places. I don't set where they, they meet. They, wanna, they want me to go and they want me to, they, they're gonna pay me so I don't have to charge the state of Vermont to, to go and deliver a message that I think is related to my work. Uh, I'll do it. I've been down and testified before the Congress a number of times on issues that we've talked about in this interview. Nobody's paying my way there. I think that's just totally relevant uh, uh, to my work. Mm -hmm. Back on the MTBE case, you said that the law firm gave you a contribution before you took on the case, right? Yeah. As opposed to after. They said we want to support, oh yeah, I mean, I, 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 they said we want to support your campaign. One of them had been a campaign contributor to me in the past, and uh, I, I, I was raising money for, for the 2014 uh, race, and they gave they gave me uh, an, on, an envelope, and I didn't know what was in it, but they said they wanted to be supportive of my campaign. I, I appreciated it. And what did I do the next time I had a campaign finance filing? I reported the date and the amounts of the contributions and who gave them to me. I met all of my uh, obligations there. That's when I thought I took the contributions, when I thought I might well have another tough race in 14, like the tough race I had in uh, 12. Uh, so, you know, that same uh, uh, journalist who says I've got, what, my tail between my legs, you know, he called me in the 12 race to say, how come you're not raising more money? Is this a sign that you have a, that you don't, you're, you're, you're not, uh, you're not really into it, or is it a sign that your support is waning that, you know, your opponent outraised you by fifteen or $20,000 or something on a reporting cycle. And so when he called me about these other contributions, I said, didn't you criticize me in the past for not raising enough money and now 
you're now you're being critical of me for for raising money and uh, his response was something like well there always has to be a story because i'm wondering you know a when there's a problem with a time like that like timeline like that why you don't correct that why not correct that correct what well I'm when, sorry. He, when somebody says that you received a donation after you accepted the case I mean, why not? And it was before. I did. This why is the first time that any, anybody has said that. And so I just corrected it when you said it, because it's not true. And I would, uh, I've been trying to correct the record on, like, the reimbursement thing and saying, hey, I've done it. And other campaigns have done it. Uh, whether it resonates with people, you know, I think sometimes people hear what they want to hear. Uh, or, you know, Sorrell's desperate. He's getting defensive and everything. I didn't take any bribes. I didn't commit wire fraud. I didn't knowingly violate the campaign finance filings with, by just my reimbursements. And I'm assuming that this investigation, if the truth comes out, then I'm going to be fine. You have confidence in Tom Little? Oh, yeah, a lot of confidence, a lot of respect for Tom. And, uh, you know, I was first asked whether I would name... Uh, uh, you know, a special investigator. That was the request to me from uh, Tensing. And, and I, my initial reaction was, no, I'm not going to waste a bunch of taxpayer money, tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money for issues that I know that I violated the law. And, and, you know, some of his allegations go back to the 2012 race. And that was the subject of a court action where those who were contending that I had violated the law, lost. The Vermont trial court judge ruled against them. Okay, and, but, they, and, but that case was dismissed before it was really even heard. Well, they fair? had a hearing. They had a, the, the plaintiffs had an opportunity to present evidence. They just had suspicions. They didn't have any evidence. And so they had their day in court. Uh, I, I didn't put their case together. And the court judge said, what do you got for evidence? And they kind of said, uh, all we've got is this. And the judge ruled against them. Not my fault, uh, but so the idea initially was, no, I'm not going to waste a bunch of taxpayers' money to, to do this investigation. Uh, uh, but then I realized that this thing wasn't going to go away, uh, and so I said, okay, I will name someone. Oh, you can't name someone. You'd name someone who's biased in your favor. It has to be, you know, so... Don't do, you can't do what we asked you to do. So, so, and so then the governor uh, said he should appoint somebody, and I said, yes, absolutely fine. I just want this thing to be cleared up, and there were a bunch of names that went around, and uh, Tom Little's name is, uh, he's, he's guy, you know, Republican, uh, but somebody for whom I have a, I have a lot of respect, and, and uh, I've cooperated fully with his requests to me, and uh, if he asks for more, I'll give him. I'll give him more. But I'm certainly looking forward to this thing uh, uh, getting over. And the other thing, you know, I've testified publicly about this idea of whether there should be an ethics commission or whatever. And I said, I hope you, the legislature, do create some sort of filter body in the at least the campaign finance arena to decide what cases should be investigated and that 
the most thankless task that I have confronted in 18 and a half years as Attorney General is the campaign finance arena because I've taken my oath very seriously not to, you know, reward my friends and just punish my enemies and be partisan. Uh, so I've sued Republican Governors Association, Democratic Governors Association, uh, progressive uh, candidate, uh, tried to be even-handed, and everybody dislikes you. You know, you're being partisan. Those are from other parties, or you're doing this for partisan reasons. And then there are those in my own party who go, why are you picking on us? You know, you're not a true Democrat. It's really very thankless. So I, I hope that this ethics commission or filtration entity will take a look at allegations of violations of campaign finance laws in the future and be the first filter uh, and maybe then turn it over to my office or others to investigate or some other mechanism, uh, whatever, but get it at least initially off the plate of the attorney general and the state's attorneys because they have equal authority mm -hmm. to the attorney general in this arena. They don't usually get involved in campaign finance uh, stuff. And the reality is a lot of the allegations of violations of campaign finance come in in the last month before an election. And it's just, I think, strategy of trying to score some points late in an election uh, uh, cycle. Do you have second thoughts about the Dean Quarren case no. filing that? No, not people at all. Say, people say you lost a lot of support out there when you did that. You don't have second thoughts about doing N that? No. I And here's what I did. There was a, the Corrin campaign was warned, as was the Democratic Party, warned repeatedly about the issue of, of not being not being able to coordinate expenditures, contributions and expenditures, because he was a publicly financed candidate. He got 180-something thousand dollars in taxpayer money. And, you know, there was, a, there was a, in my view, a very real mistake that was made when uh, there was this alleged coordination on this email that went to 18,000 folks on the Democratic Party email list. Unfortunately, under the statute, the, any unexpended public funds as of the date of a violation of, of taking a contribution is owed back to the state. That's a law our legislature passed, and we looked back at the legislative history, and they wanted to be really serious and have a real penalty for those who take public financing and then raise more money or accept more contributions. And, uh, you know, much was made of the fact of this harsh $52,000 penalty for something that was an email that was worth a few hundred bucks. I understand, but we saw no flexibility under the statute. So what if I just said to Dean Corrin uh, or some other candidate, well, you violated the law, but we're not going to do anything about it. Well, then what do I do the next time when I do enforce against someone? And they say, why didn't you do it against John Doe or Dean, Dean Corn?" So what I did is I brought the case, but then I went to the legislature and said, I really would like you to change the penalty for the kind of violation that's in the Corn case uh, 
to give me, a prosecutor, more flexibility to let the punishment fit the crime. And what did the legislature do? It did exactly that. And so, and the, the, what the legislature did is arguably has retroactive application to the Corrin campaign uh, and any other violations in this past cycle. So had I not brought the case, I don't think the legislature would have listened to me if I came in and said, you really got to change the penalty on this and that. They were going on a ho-hum. The fact that there was a pending case that people thought, boy, that's a harsh penalty for what looks like this conduct, uh, the, you know, I, I think that's what moved the agenda to change the law. And I had some other statewide folks say to me, can't, can't you just renegotiate a different penalty? And we did a bunch of research on it and found that we felt that we couldn't. What, why could you do that with the Democratic Party? Or did, didn't you reach a settlement with them? Or was oh, it, yeah, was but it, they, 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 they weren't, they weren't applied. They, they, don't, they, they, didn't. they weren't subject to the law on the public financing. They just violated the law by making a contribution that they didn't report. So you didn't have that same flexibility? No, I, I, I had all the flexibility with the Democratic Party that I did not have with Dean Corrin, the way the laws are, are written. But now, as a result of my kind of pushing this or requesting the legislature to make the change, they've made it. And now I and state's attorneys and uh, uh, AGs in the, in the future will have much more flexibility to let the punishment fit the crime if and when another publicly financed candidate uh, violates restrictions under the law. Go back here. You said to me this law firm that you were talking about. Well, answer me this. It, even if you had taken the contribution before you filed the case, isn't that just as bad as taking money after a case? No, because I didn't. I Here's what I did. I didn't agree to take the case. They said, we're, we're doing these cases nationwide. We'd like to talk with, we'd like to come to Vermont and talk to you about MTBE. And I said, we'll see. And I came back to Vermont and met with the Agency of Natural Resources. And we told them how we've been interested in MTBE for several years and that we had talked with A&R under a previous administration with interest in the case and were told, no, we're not interested. And so, I made very clear, if you, that is the current agency secretary, if you're not interested in MTBE, litiga MTBE litigation, end of story. If you are interested, we want to talk to you a little bit more, and then we would be lead counsel if we're going to have a lawsuit, but we would need to have other counsel to assist us in the case. And there are some law firms that are doing these cases nationally who have expert witnesses. They've done the memoranda and the filings and the motions, and they've won cases. And we would need to decide what firm or firms to retain to be of assistance to us if we're going to do it. And they said, that is, Agency of Natural Resources folks said, we're very interested 
in MTBE litigation. Uh, okay, then uh, good. We, we've got a lot of work to do, and we need to interview and make decisions on what law firm or law firms to retain. And, and you'd already gotten the contribution. I'd gotten the contribution. I didn't tell anybody I'd gotten the contribution. I didn't want anybody to think I had a, a, a favorite in this race. And we ended up uh, uh, contracting with four firms. One firm name I don't even know out of New York, uh, a Boston firm that we've worked with in the past that had come to us earlier to talk about MTBE, mm -hmm. a small firm from uh, somebody I know well from AG ranks and this Baron and Bud firm from Texas that I knew of the firm but didn't know any of the any of the people. Why do you think they gave you ten thousand dollars? I don't know. Ask them. I I, I I you know I. I mean, come on. Why do Why do you think they gave you? I think they hoped that we would take seriously their requests that we can that we consider MTBE litigation. And that we consider hiring them. I'm, uh, yeah, I don't think this was charity, uh, you know, but I know that I made clear to ANR we're not going to do anything in this arena unless you're fully on board. And then they were fully on board, and I said, with my staff, interview prospective firms, and. Uh, make a recommendation as to what firm or firms to retain. I that didn't sit in any of those interviews, uh, played no part, and when it came to me, the recommendation, we should hire these four firms that are doing these cases, that we've checked with clients of theirs, that they've gotten results, they're good, and we suggest that Vermont retain them, and I said, fine. And then we negotiated a tougher contract with them than what they proposed. In other words, that they would get, if we're successful in receiving uh, in, in the litigation, their contingency fee will be less than what they proposed uh, to us. So we bargained pretty hard with them. So if, you know, if I was trying to do a favor to some law firm, I wouldn't push back on what the contract would look like or anything, but we pushed back. We, uh, uh, got a better contract than what they were proposing. Back in May, you um, described to me that you felt all of this that was going on was uh, tantamount to a witch hunt. Do you feel the same today? I think it's, uh, yeah, I do, actually. I think that the tenor of politics in this state, and I'm not alone in terms of uh, being of this view, that it's gotten nastier. And uh, uh, I hope seeing these developments and with, unfortunately, the U.S. Supreme Court opening the floodgates to more and more money coming into uh, campaigns in Vermont, we're going to see so much outside money come in uh, in this next cycle, or the cycle we're in. Uh, you know, I argued before the U.S. Supreme Court to try to reduce not only contributions to candidates, but expenditures by candidates. We went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. We won in the lower courts, but we lost at the, at the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court. So I, I, uh, I, hate, 
I hated fundraising. I, you know, as part of the political process, it's a necessary evil, but I hated it, every bit of it. I don't like asking people for money. And I think that the, the tenor of things, uh, Washington, D.C. style uh, uh, politics is coming up here. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe no coincidence that uh, Brady Tensing's a member of a D.C. firm that is very actively involved in political issues, uh, that I hope it doesn't dissuade potential candidates going forward just saying they, they don't, just don't want to participate in a process where uh, uh, you're accused of all kinds of crimes and whatever, I think for partisan political reasons. Okay, but if you were asked to look at a case where somebody had received a contribution and taken an action, whether it's before or after, I mean, you have to admit that that's something I that think, sure. raises questions and, 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 and fairly raises and, questions. Yeah, and the, the reality is what we have always done in the campaign finance arena is the first thing we do is we ask the candidate who is complained against, how do you respond to these allegations? And if a state's attorney said, Okay, Bill, I've got this, and how do you respond to the allegation that you, you know, took a bribe? I would tell them the story that I told you, and then they can go if they want and speak to Commissioner Mears, uh, then Commissioner Mears, Secretary Markowitz, uh, my staff, and confirm that what I've said is exactly the truth. And, and, uh, and, and then not have it be done in a public way? Is that what you're saying, that it should be? No, the, the, the question is whether a detailed investigation is, is warranted, you know, or can you do something that's two inches deep as opposed to two miles deep and, and get satisfied that we don't need to look further. There is no smoking gun there, you know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, so sort of figure out if there's a prima facie case. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And because you know and I know that even if you get cleared on this, oh, there's going to be there's going to be those who are going to think, oh, well, you know, uh, Sorrell is in the pocket of whatever or something like that. I mean, and you know, in this in this business, you never have a hundred percent of the people, uh, uh, you know, on your side, never, you know, and. And when you're the chief law enforcement officer of the state, you make a lot of decisions. Uh, People can love you for your first nine cases that you do, and they don't like what you did on the 10th, and that's the one they remember. And over 18 and a half years, uh, you know, you make some enemies. And I have some political enemies. Trust me, they've contributed uh, to campaigns against me uh, and because of, of... consumer protection matters, antitrust matters, and other things that we've done. You make some powerful enemies when you go against uh, powerful concerns. Uh, The fact that I'm supposedly the fifth worst AG in the country is because I've been mean to large corporate interests or wealthy interests, you know, that I haven't been in their their pocket. And uh, when you 
fight against the big boys, expect some blowback.